a first time for everything, right? That's yeah. how the thing goes. I say go with the flow. All right, well, let's go with the flow then. So this is a uh, an episode of the Halcyon Frequency podcast airing airing February Sunday, February twentieth, twenty twenty two. My brain is thinking twenty twenty three right now for some reason, and that's a problem. <laughs> but I'm blind, and I, I I host this show apparently, and I'm joined by uh, some lovely friends from the stream team Halcyon Frequency. Let's just let's just start with Bellinair. How are, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I met met my family today. Went to eat some uh, uh, sushi buffet. I was so full. We slept uh, three hours because of it. <laughs> it was that nice. That sounds lovely. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, it was amazing. It was really good. And it was good to see my uh, mother because we obviously because of the pandemic and everything we haven't seen her again in like months. So it was really nice. That's yeah. awesome. FG, how are you today? That's kind of a loaded question. That is a very loaded <laughs> question. Let's just say I am a ball of stress. Ball of stressed otters. Yeah. And so, are we talking like a golf ball or like a soccer ball? No, like you know, like those 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 squeeze balls that you know that you have for stress. So I'm like that ball, but between somebody's fingers, like somebody is squeezing the stress ball, and I'm like squeezing out. Yeah, between their fingers. That's me right now. Or like one of those like giant chair balls that you like sit on, except it's somebody who's maybe like too heavy for it, just squishing it. Just squishing it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Correct. Jess, how are you today? I'm good. It's early and I'm awake. I'm here. It's just like me. I'm, I'm awake, it's early, and we're recording a podcast. Uh, so we got a lot of things to, to, to talk about today. Uh, it's, it's kind of a full recording day for us, and uh, so we're, we're just going to, I don't know, ramble about a few things. But something that's kind of been like bouncing off of the, the front of a, a lot of our mental spheres as of late is we've been bombarded with um, a barrage of emails about something that FG kind of wanted to talk about a little bit here. Yeah, so um, ever basically as a, well as a as a result of the pandemic, um, Steam has been doing these demo festivals. So Summerfest, Nextfest, now it's called Steam Nextfest, and a lot of people, um, a lot of developers, always have demos ready for those um, those festivals, which is awesome because I have gotten to play so many games because of this that otherwise I wouldn't have played and that I like, you know, I got to know about and then I got to prepare, you know, um, myself for when these come out and like plan everything and then put it into my calendar and whatnot. And um, we now have gotten to this really weird place where they're sending out emails to content creators, uh, inviting people to play their demo early so it's not even just like early access to the game it's early access to a work in progress version of their game and it just i don't know it just strikes me as weird and you know because it's because it's like first of all having early access to a demo when nobody has heard of the game yet because the fest is not live so they haven't looked at the store page it's kind of, I don't know, counterproductive in a way. And and also, I've played demos that were 10 minutes long. Like, I don't need early access to that on stream. Yeah, yeah as a streamer, at least, you don't really need to put the, If you were recording for YouTube, then a couple of days early might be handy. Yeah. 
that's true. But as a streamer, like like my people right now, like if I I, I could have gotten I could have streamed some of these demos today, but but nobody on Twitch right now is looking for demos. And like for upcoming games, they look for demos and gameplay when the fest is live and they they actually get like you know informed about those games right now everybody is watching horizon forbidden west so i don't know it's hmm. I, I don't think it even matters on like what people are watching what, what what concerns me about these festivals is like making a demo or making a playable slice of a video game is a lot of work and making a good one is a ton of work and I, you'd always hear about developers crunching to get something out and ready for E3 to have uh, something that's playable on the floor at E3 that you know press and I, I guess some creators at the time um, could go and play and that was always like a sticking point for around the season and now I'm starting to see these demos these limited time demos be released as part of these next fests and they're happening like happening like four times a year it feels like like they're pretty frequent yeah um I, 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 I'm starting to wonder, it's like, is, the, like, is this a sudden large amount of extra work that these developers are having to put on to be noticed on the Steam store? Because like the Steam store operates just like the YouTube front page at this point. It's just, it's all popularity algorithms and who has the most follows and wish lists on their, uh, on their product page. So you kind of have to participate in these events and do well in these events to actually get the follows, to get the wish lists to surf, be surfaced on the Steam page. That, to me, is, I think, kind of the, the scarier part of it. And I guess the reason why publishers would send us emails, because like, looking through my email when, when you brought this up, FG, I, I went through and found one or two that read very similarly. I, I don't think I've gotten quite the bombardment of emails just because I'm, I'm not that active in the new games area these days so i don't mm. get like i don't get contacted by that many devs currently um and they're they're all competing for that spotlight right and they need whatever coverage they can get and they need it and they need a lot of it in order to be surfaced there right mm -hmm. i mean it's a yeah go go, go ahead bill <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is just a, like a part of the marketing and uh uh, I do like the heads up uh, from uh, especially developers who make games that uh, do interest me and getting the email, but I don't really see the point of also go doing it like early. But I'll, we've been uh, I've done done like several of these uh, Steam demo fests uh, and done like forty games each time or something, and uh, it's been a really really good way to find like uh, some really nice games. And it's also been great with like uh, um, my community, and they keep suggesting like this demo looks good. Could we take like ten minutes to try this one and this one and and then. Uh, after the whole event, uh, I have played uh, quite a lot of those games. Like Epic Chef was one of the ones uh, I picked up uh, from a demo fest, uh, and uh, several others that I'm looking forward to play when they actually come out. out. So they do seem quite handy, though. You know, yeah, like agree absolutely. Like the demo fests have been awesome, and um, I think you actually brought up a really good point, Blind. How much? This adds to potential crunch. That is actually a big concern. That's a that's a very good point, I think. Um, and yeah, it's just I mean, it's I, just this I, this. I, I, I was I just gonna say. I, Go on. <laughs> no, no, I was just I was just to reiterate on that. I don't mind being informed about having demos coming up in the fest. I I I'm I I really really like that. Like I I wouldn't be upset about like those kind of emails. It's just I find it 
really strange and yeah it, it does it just doesn't make sense to offer streamer early access youtube yes as as bell has said because that way um youtubers can record stuff early but for streaming it, it really is not necessary but i guess it's too much pr work to split it up and make it so that only um you know youtube people get the the early stuff and then twitch streamers later and that sort of stuff that that is i guess too much too much work which i can understand you know that people don't don't really have the time to invest in invest that it's just it just means that my inbox is full of emails <laughs> like i've legitimately, legitimately gotten probably around 15 emails i think about this about early access to certain things that's a lot Mm-hmm. And are are these games the early access that you're being offered? Is it or is it contingent upon streaming it, or is it just to create any type of content? It is to create any type of content, but obviously, mostly people are reaching out to me because for streaming stuff, because that's where my my value kind of is. Because my Twitch channel is much bigger than my YouTube channel. Yeah, I see. I, I feel like it could be good in the sense, like I think Bell mentioned, for YouTube. That way you at least have a video queued up for when the demos release. But yeah, I don't really see that being totally useful ahead of time, ahead of the next fest. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here worrying that the Steam store is going to become very difficult for uh, not flashy games to surface. And it's it's becoming more and more and more that way. Um, if your game isn't super bright and colorful and doesn't catch the eye immediately, it's a lot harder for it to get noticed just because of, like, it's the same reason that videos that don't have splashy thumbnails on YouTube don't get noticed, you know? In a way, yeah, definitely, for sure. That's, that definitely has an effect there. Like, it's something that's been concerning me about Steam for a while, and this, to me, like, these, and just the rate at which FG is getting emails about it, and the priority that I'm seeing smaller PR companies put on these events um, does worry me about Steam, as somebody who doesn't always like to play flashy games. I wonder if Steam would benefit from having a niche page, or, like, a sub-store it's almost like Steam would benefit from having like some sort of um, <clears throat> like a user curated store where say like a creator <laughs> could like um, uh, take a list of games that they recommend and like put them in a separate storefront and nah, they, they'd never do that. Also, they probably wouldn't surface it and then they'd bury it if they did do that. So nobody could find it anyway, right? Steam it is, so is to find them now. incredibly <laughs> difficult to navigate. It's like, how the heck yeah. do you find curators on Steam? I know that they exist, and, like, Belladere here has a very successful one, and FG has started one recently, and it's like... Yeah. I mean, uh, each time I go to my own curator group to suggest a, a, a recommend a new game, uh, I have to figure out, like, where, did you, where, where, where do I go again to actually find the damn curator? <laughs> it's like I groups. go through groups. Yeah, groups. It's like you go into your the groups that you're in on Steam, and then it's like Steam curator connected to groups, and then leave a new review, I think. Yeah, and it seems time. like it's uh, changing all the time where it is located uh, and uh, it gets harder and harder and after like several pages of things uh, before you actually get to the actual curator page and the admin page and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, 
Steam is a weird beast right now because there's... On one hand, I think they're doing some of the best things for Linux and just PC gaming as a whole as far as platforms go to buy games. But there's some things that they do that I just look at and I squint and I go, I think that's more dangerous than like Epic buying up exclusives all the time. <laughs> like there, there's, there's some things that Steam does that just really makes me wish I had a crystal ball to see what people think of them in a decade. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff they do is like a pet project of one person and uh, it doesn't really like a work as a whole community, like a... <laughs> like a whole thing it's like one guy does this thing and one guy does that other thing and the curator was someone someone's pet project and that guy kind of moved on and then it's kind of been left to rot somewhere and same with all the other features like I, I don't know if any of you guys want to talk about valve as a whole but like do you remember how they ate campo santo am i the only person who's still sad about that yeah i i i wasn't really around for for that that much for 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 reference campo santo little studio made a game called firewatch we're making mm -hmm. a uh another game that took place in in egypt i think i want to say ancient egypt and it was say it was in the valley of something um, uh the valley of the gods the valley of the gods yes that that was it um and they, they were developing that and they'd released some footage and screenshots and then they got bought by valve and they were like yeah we're still working on that and then like two years went by with no information they're like yeah we're not working on that so yeah, that always sucks when that. that happens. Like, you know, pe people get mad about, like, Bullfrog dying and such. Like, that's that's my major gripe right now, because how, how much I loved Firewatch. Firewatch is a great game, though. Like, Yeah, really I really is. enjoyed it. Yeah. It's not the most complicated thing, but it's a wonderful, like, six hours in the forest. Yep. Very beautiful, very pretty as well. To look at like all the colors and whatnot. Yeah. Colors. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I I, I th this topic for me is just kind of a, a thing that could just kind of go on forever because I have so many like little nitpicks and things that I could poke at with Steam and just get grumpy about because I think Steam's an excellent platform and it is my preferred platform for purchasing games and I've given them an ungodly amount of money over the <laughs> over the years but. I I feel like there's there's so much wrong with that platform, and I really really wish that they were better about things. But you know, at, at least uh, they 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 turn around and port Portal One and Two to the Switch, um, which actually wasn't even done by them. They outsourced that, which I think is kind of funny. But that is funny in a way, yeah. Right hmm. in time for them to launch their own handheld platform. <laughs> I'm actually really curious about how those, how well those run, Portal One and Two on the Switch. Should I would imagine be really well. Like you, you, can, decent, you get the yeah. Witcher and all kinds of games on a Switch as well. So I suppose it should have enough power to run a, a Portal game for sure. It's just Portal is such a twitchy game. Like I, <laughs> for for me, it's like done. Like I wouldn't want to do that just purely based on the control scheme. Although I did beat the first Portal on a like a a, a, a mouse pad, like a, a touch pad on a laptop. Um, the first time I finished it, that took way longer than it should have, but just to like execute some of those jumps, but yeah, I don't know. I think we've kind of exhausted that little topic there. Let's take a, let's take a real quick break. And then when we come back, uh, we will talk about the games that we've been playing this week. I think we got some power to the people. Diplomacy is not an option in Warhammer coming up. So, uh, 
we'll be back in a in a very after a very brief message hello i am suey i am a part-time streamer on twitch part of the lovely house and frequency and I am also a full-time student. I stream primarily wholesome kind of indie games with, you know, slice of life, RPG, all that good stuff. And you can follow me over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash suey, S-U-W-E-Y. And we are back with the sixth episode of the Halcyon Frequency podcast for February 8th. Or February 8th? What? For February 20th, <laughs> 2022. Well, the past. What day is it? I don't even. It's because it's we're recording this on the 18th. That's why. Anyway. It's um, February 20th, 2023, right? That's t- February yes. 20th, 2023. Yeah, I think that's definitely the current year. That's right. Yes. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of things that definitely take place in uh, 2023, uh, wars of all kinds between various species uh, creatures and monsters and magical beings. Uh, Belliner, do you want to talk to us a little bit about Whammer 3? Yeah, sure. So, Total War Whammer 3 came out uh, yesterday, I think it was. Uh, but I've had access for it uh, for over a week, and I've been playing it quite a lot of it already. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's Total War and Warhammer, so if, if you haven't played those previously, it's a uh, turn-based uh, like empire management with a real-time uh, strategy combat uh, armies and all of that uh, but it's a uh, it's very much still a total war game and it's a uh, if you if you've played those previously it's exactly the same as all the previous entries uh, with a little different uh, armies and a few new mechanics but it's it's actually like a very very competent entry to the series um, as a, as this but uh, it is plagued by horrible performance issues currently um it is not playable, in my opinion, if you don't have an SSD. I, I installed it originally on my normal hard drive, accidentally. And uh, loading times are like several minutes each time you load into a battle, each time you load out of the battle, each time you load into the map, and all that. Uh, several which happens, minutes? Uh, yes, it's it's really long. Oy vey. It's a, it's a, and, and when you move it to an, an SSD, or if you install it on SSD, it is, it is like a night and day difference. It's like a few seconds... Uh, Instead of a few minutes, it's it's a uh, literally like unplayable on a normal hard drive. Good to know. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. If you're if you're gonna give it a go, definitely put it on an SSD. I will keep that can. in mind. But um, other than that, there also like um, there's a lot of uh, like uh, stuttering on the map, uh, and uh, I have a pretty decent PC myself, uh, and uh, I had to lower my settings quite a lot. Uh, uh, when there's a lot of armies and a lot of heroes moving on the map and it's doing the turns and everything, it, it gets very, very janky on that. But like the actual combat, which is the proper meat of the game, obviously, um, no issues there at all. That works like smooth as butter, uh, really well done. All the controls are a little bit better than they've been in previous series and they've been doing like all these small improvements. But um, I mean, uh, if you haven't really played a Total War uh, Warhammer previously, I would probably recommend checking out the first two before jumping into this one, because um, I mean it's basically the same game with different races. Uh, and if if you're a cup of these, not the demons and uh, ogres and what what is in this one, uh, uh, maybe orcs and all the other races in the other ones um, will probably be more your thing. And you yeah. can probably get it a little cheaper than uh, this one. 
And also they have the, the Grand Conquest map where all the games fit together into one big Yeah, game. so they have this uh, a mode code that called, uh, that's called a Grand Campaign, basically, that they introduced into 1 and 2, where you have this like a massive map, and then they combine 1 and 2 as well into like a single map uh, where you have all the races and uh, everything. It's kind of like what Hitman's you know. doing, actually. Yeah, basically. And uh, 3 is supposed to join that at some point. Uh, who knows? And apparently it's going to be like even even bigger and even more things, uh, but it doesn't have that yet. So uh, even if you're like a veteran of the series, it might be worth waiting for that to come out. Even though actually the uh, current campaign is, is really good, and uh, uh, the prologue that they in- included in this one, which basically the tutorial that they had in the previous ones, I actually played the tutorial in the uh, Warhammer Two day before I played the tutorial in Three because I was supposed to. Uh, play a little of the two before the three came out, and then I got an access uh, over a week uh, before the launch, so I didn't have time to play the two as much as I wanted to play. But like two, two's tutorial is very like simple. It's like this is how you move units and this is how you build a building. But the prologue in uh, three is actually like a fully voice acted, uh, has a uh, animated cutscenes, uh, and it like sets up the story, story and everything. Plus the tutorial itself is much better done, and actually explains you how to make control groups and things like that, uh, that the other one doesn't. Which is uh, pretty important in the actual management of the battle and everything. So it's actually, I would recommend that even for someone who's uh, like played these for thousands of hours, it's really nice. Uh, uh, and the story from the prologue continues into the actual campaign as well. So you, you'll be a little lost at uh, what's happening in the campaign if you don't know what happened in the prologue. I've seen some complaints about that prologue tutorial thing, specifically from people who've played a lot of Warhammer, and the reason they're complaining is because it is the most bone-dry, simple, like, down-to-basics, which is good for new players, but for veteran players, it's it's really really annoying. Like, very detailed, simple tutorial, right? But the issue is, if it is because the story stuff is mandatory for the main game, and also, uh, I've heard reports that some of the storytelling in the prologue is better than the main game, but it's combined with the least interesting gameplay portion, of the rest of the game? Yeah, it, it is definitely. If you are as already a veteran of the series, the gameplay is very simple and limited. It's like... All of the functions are not available that are normally available, and the combats you have to do are very simple. I actually, I kind of like that because I, um, I'm going to try this game out next week. Because as it turns out, I received an email about getting a key for the game early, but it went to my spam folder, completely missed it until the other day. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I mean, I guess I'll jump on this bandwagon. I'm, I've never played the Total War games, but I have to say I'm intimidated. I've been watching people play and I almost declined because I'm just pure, just straight up intimidated by the intensity of the Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like any of these big strategy games. It, they are always kind of in, intimidating to get into. But like CK3, for example, is also like a super intimidating game to get into at first. Uh, but uh, once you get in it, they are, they are pretty great. And this tutorial will definitely help you a lot with that. I, I think I'll say about Total War is Total War is deceptively complicated. Like it looks really like one of the scariest looking games ever is like Empire Total War, like visually. Like you watch a trailer for that game and it's like, giant like square formations of units everywhere on land battles and then just like sea battles with a billion units just like fighting things those sea battles are the simplest things ever you take click ship one click ship two tell them go next to that tell you to attack that tell you to attack that done you watch them blow each other up like with 
Total War, it's it looks extremely complicated, but the the empire building side of it is like as with 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 the with the uh, Warhammer ones, it's a little bit more obtuse because it's like you're doing less logical things, but it's always just every city has a handful of buildings and they're never that complicated and they're pretty simple when you read the descriptions like yeah, you're never going like to be what you need to get and so on yeah you're never going to be running that much it's always it's always been kind of a rock paper scissors system of this beats that this beats that this beats that again like it'll be a little weirder because you're in um like a fantasy setting but total war is actually kind of a really simple style of strategy game they just do a really good job of pumping it full of fluff to make it look exceptionally complicated, which is also why the fights are so much fun to watch. Yeah, and with the uh, like Warhammer brand uh, attached to it, uh, they put so much fluff to add to it. Uh, yeah. And all kinds of flashy things. Uh. Like, I, I just, I've seen this gif, like, flying by on Reddit on repeat, which is just one of the ogres, or one of the guys on, in the Nurgle army that just, like, drops pants and poops on Batty. So... <laughs> Yeah, they've done a really good job also, like, writing all the lore stuff and uh, getting, like, a life into the different factions. Uh, the Nurgle especially. Some of the some of the descriptions of things are, like, downright just disgusting. Like, properly disgusting, how they've done. But also, like, ogres are a lot of the, uh, like, descriptions for things and everything that are written with a really good humor. humor. And wh- whoever uh, made uh, all the names for, like, the heroes for different factions and all that... He needs like a race. Some of the names are just amazing. There, there is a, there is a uh, uh, this uh, chaos marauder hero uh, that's called uh, Soren Kalsarikannit, uh, which I was really like dying laughing on stream because uh, Kalsarikannit is a Finnish word for uh, getting drunk alone at home in underwear. <laughs> So it's kind of surprising to see a hero named uh, after a Finnish word like that. After a little bit of searching around, apparently we have an English phrase for that too, which is pants drunk, which I'd never heard before. Same. Yeah, I've never heard that. But apparently that's the English equivalent because I I tuned into Bellinair's stream right when he was having a cackle about that. And I was just like, is, is this an English? Like, do we have a thing like that in English? Yeah, we do. Pants drunk. Yeah, it's like uh, the Danish have the hygge, that's kind of the nice and comforting warm sweaters mm. and a little bit of tea and all of that, uh, being being nice at home. Uh, and the, the Kalsarikan is like the Finnish version. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess like at, at this point for someone who's looking to get into uh, Warhammer, uh it's uh, maybe they've played the previous ones, but they're like debating as to whether or not they should pick up the third one. Would you say it's in a good spot to recommend right now, even with the performance problems, or should they wait for a couple of patches? I think the third one is the most accessible of the three. Like I played the first one, uh, and it was pretty rough uh, getting into that. Uh, uh, some of the balance and everything was kind of all over the place uh, when it launched. Uh, but I, I think the three, with especially that new prologue tutorial, is. is best for the new players. Also, it should be mentioned that uh, it is on uh, PC Game Pass, mm. which is also doing the one dollar, uh, one euro thing again. So if you want to try it for a month uh, for basically nothing, PC Game Pass is probably the way to do it. Game Pass! <laughs> <laughs> Not sponsored. This is like, yes, but also no! Shake's fist! <laughs> 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 eh. Yeah, she's old. 
Game Pass is pretty rad, but also, eh, Microsoft. Speaking of, eh, Microsoft, considering, um, you know, all, all this, all the, the world has been is people buying people and hostile takeovers, and that would almost, like, lead us to believe that diplomacy is not an option, so, uh, <laughs> that just was too perfect to not jump on. Do you want to talk about diplomacy is not an option again? <laughs> sure. Um... So I, I, I picked this one up, and I didn't get to play much with it this past week, but I, I really want to play more. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Diplomacy is not an option. It is a sort of city builder, tower defense, resource management game. And I got to say, I love the graphics. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of For the King, like graphic styles in For the King. And it's got a nice sense of humor. There's a, there's a setting in the menu where it says diplomacy. And then option one is not an option. Option two is no. <laughs> option three is like never or something. So like it's literally just never an option. It cracks me <laughs> up. <laughs> I, I thought that was a nice touch from the developers. Um, so it's a game that relies a lot on physics and so I like I said I've not really played too much with the advanced building in this game but from the first level of the campaign that I did it I'm really really want to go back and play more like I, I'm not the biggest into tower defense and I also never played they are billions but I I don't know I want to go back and try it again. I think on the last episode, Kiri described it as they are billions, but totally accurate battle simulator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like with the graphics, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I, I mean, I, I'm super, I'm super busy with just like random other games, as as I tend to be. But this is one that I'm actually like staring at, going, I think I might try this, just because like I, I really love the idea of uh, they are billions, but kind of hated it in execution. Um, mm. So I I don't know. I'd like to try another game that's like trying that, but yeah. Trying Yeah, that I would say it. I would say give it a try, for sure. I think I'm going to play some more. Speaking of mm -hmm. playing more, how's that uh, CK3 DLC? <laughs> you know, I've hardly even like broken into it. The game is so complicated. I haven't played in so long that I've had to spend so much time relearning the mechanics and relearning the game. And I did like start as a feudal king and was able to somewhat scratch the surface with royal court, but then the AI cheated and I lost my kingdom and I was salty. So I started over, but I learned you can get a royal court if you're tribal. So I'm... Just I'm playing a regular old game of CK3, and I forgot how much I love it. Ugh. Such a good game. It's so complicated. It's so hard to wrap my head around, but luckily, I have chat members who know what they're doing. <laughs> That's always a benefit. Yeah, it's... I uh, so good. Has anybody else here checked out that new DLC more? Or is it still just, like, kind of a... It's good, I haven't played it anymore... But I was wondering if Jess would agree with me that the DLC is cool and what it adds, but it's too expensive. For... Um, I, I cannot really speak to it because I've, like I said, I've hardly, 
I've hardly scratched the surface, and like I, I'm intending on playing with it more. But from other people I've talked to, they said that it's been it's been pretty good, and it's added a lot of detail to the game, and it has really, really, really increased the intensity and um, I guess the difficulty and the the strategy requirements. It's just made the game that much more deep. But I haven't gotten into that myself. Mm. The, because the, the thing is, like, go on. sorry, no, go ahead. Not I was just—I was just gonna say that um, the the main piece of feedback that I've heard from people is that it's not too expensive if you have the like includes everything royal edition. But if you don't have that, like, yo, you already paid for the DLC. Those people are complaining that it's too expensive because it mm. is a thirty dollar expansion. I do see it's got mixed reviews. That's just paradox. <laughs> That's mostly people that are complaining about the price of the DLC. Yep. The thing, the thing that, that I think that quote unquote bothers me a little bit with that price is that, as you stated, if you do a travel start or if you don't start as a king, you can't take advantage of the DLC. Like, yes, you get, you still get like new events and all that sort of stuff, and you know they they added stuff like everywhere a little bit and that sort of stuff, right? But like. When I played it, I started as a count, and I never became a king, so for eight hours that I played on stream, I never actually had a royal court. I had a court, and you can get a couple of people, but you can never get, like, a royal court. And, I don't know, it's like... It's, it adds a lot of depth, but you need to be a king to be able to use it, otherwise you just... you can't. It locks out a lot of the... The, the, the starts, it locks out a lot of the starts because you don't get to play around with the DLC right from the get-go. Yeah, I could agree with that. I don't know, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna have to keep progressing through my playthrough and just really gauge how long it takes to access the DLC, and mm. what's gonna be nice about that is that I'll really get to experience it from like, the very very bottom of or the very beginning of the experience and then like be able to build up to the end like if i'm able to follow the playthrough all the way through but when i when i tried it starting as a king like it i don't know it was i didn't really get to feel like it was my court it was the court mm. so i don't know maybe that's going to be a unique aspect moving from tribal to feudal Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe uh, as you eventually move up to getting a royal court, you can give power to the people? <laughs> Am I stretching too hard with this one? Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe you, a little. Do, do you, maybe do, a little. Do, do you want to give a little power to the people? <laughs> well, so, sure. Um, but this is actual power, not like... Political power. We're talking electrical power. Well, why not both? <laughs> Shocking. Politically yeah. electric power. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, power to the people is a. Well, I, I see. I want to say really small, tiny indie game that came out, but then it is also published by Crytivo, so it's not actually that tiny. And um, stylized. At, yeah. So when you when you look at it when you looked at it 
from the get-go. You kind of think, oh, it's like a, it's like a city builder, um, like retro-looking city builder, but it's not. It's a um, management sim because basically you play as the person who is responsible for the supplying the power to various cities that pop up on the map, and you have to balance things like loads and um you know people complaining that there's a coal power plant in their backyard uh disasters and all that sort of stuff so it feels a little bit more almost like um transport tycoon in a way because because you supply the people the the cities with power the cities grow and then you need to expand your infrastructure and that sort of stuff there's unlocks um there's a Oh god, a bunch of campaign maps. 12 maybe? 12 campaign maps? With three different difficulty levels, plus two different play modes, plus a sandbox mode, plus a weekly challenge mode? It, it actually has a lot. Like, I I played it first, and I played it on hard, and that's not, like, when I played it the first time. That's not necessarily the best idea to do it, because you're kind of supposed to progress through it, and you get points for beating maps on all different difficulties and that unlocks more buildings that you can then place and utilize like stronger buildings so i went back this week because i didn't really know what to play and i wanted to play a puzzle game ish because it's also a little bit puzzle gamey like those management simmy but puzzle gamey because you can't cross all of your lines you can't just connect them together because then there's too much load when everybody uh, cooks dinner and everything explodes um but that's fun though <laughs> there is an achievement for that Good. but <laughs> you also don't want to do that because um, uh, then people get unhappy and unhappy. And um, I went back to it. I played through two maps on medium and then started on a third. And that's uh, that feels like a good start. And yeah, I've just been really enjoying it. It's been really fun and chill. And yeah, it's just like, I don't know, it's a neat little management sim. Uh, and also for the people who are looking to 100% games, um, non no like super undoable achievements which is nice it just looks like it takes time based on the yep, rarities yep. from what i was just looking at yep this, this seems like an interesting game like this feels like a game that i would have jumped right on like five years ago um because i i do in my heart love these types of management sims especially ones that are like it's a management sim, but you're not directly engaging with the construction of a city. It's like you're just no. like the game does that. You're just kind of building around the edges, um, like you know your transport tycoons and your uh, various other business management city builders. Um, mm -hmm. It looks it looks like a game that shouldn't have been made this year, but <laughs> and should have come out in like 2002, but kind of in a good way. So. So that, that was actually my question. So you, you don't build the city up. The city just builds itself, and you yeah. just have to adjust the power? You have to supply, yeah, you have to adjust the power, yeah. And mm. so buildings, buildings, so the cities expand. Cities expand, but they also level up buildings inside, and they stuff like the density of the city goes, goes up. So at the start, you have, like, lots of small, like, you know, single-family homes, and then suddenly they get toned down, and then you've got an apartment building, and, you know, they use a lot of power at dinner time. And then there's, like, a mall that uses lots of power when it's, like, dark. And there's, like, everything lit up. And then there's hospitals who get, like, really upset if they lose power, obviously. And just, you know, that sort of stuff. Like, it's um, it's a neat little game. It's made by a little cunt, uh, studio, apparently, in Denmark. Um, and, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. It was, it was, yeah. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed so it as well cool. when I played the demo. 
It should be also noted that this one, and actually the diplomacy not an option, were both uh, in the previous uh, Steam uh, demo fest, uh, and it's actually where I picked up both of them. Yep, same. Like a mic type of games. And I actually would have missed uh, both of them if I didn't have, have that uh, Steam demo fest there, so. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. So that gets a thumbs up from me. Now I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, I just... You sent, should. It's really good. I just sent Cry Vito a, a, an email. <laughs> 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 it, it, games like that, to me, I'm, I'm always inherently skeptical because I think there's a very fine line between Tycoon City Builder or City Interactive game uh, slash puzzle game there's a very fine line between really fun and well-made and exceptionally boring. And yeah, yeah, it's it's not boring. Like, it, it starts off a little bit boring, but uh, if you're looking for intensity, just do the mode where you cannot pause at all and just watch your CD crumble and burst into flames because there is either too much power or no power at all. <laughs> I'm trying to remember uh, the name of this game because I just remember the old one. There there was this economy, like, transport tycoon-style thing that I played a couple of years ago, which used to be called Project Automata, but then they changed the name of it. And I'm trying to remember the name of it now because I was just going to point at that game as something that was just painfully boring for me. But I do can't... Do you mean... Did this come out a while ago? Do you mean... Um, it did wait, come wait, out wait, 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 wait. Rise of Industry. That's probably it. Rise of... Oh, oh yeah, maybe. Yes, that was it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, you I, said this one's boring? I played... I put, like, 20 hours into it, and it... It it, it, it had... I don't want to just, like, trash a game that came out in 2019 or left early access in 2019, I guess, but, like, it had no soul, is what I would say. It was just very hollow. There was no character to it. Um, the... It was very, very, very numbers gamey and not in a good way. Like, if a game like this for me becomes all about the numbers, I just kind of don't want to play them anymore. And Rise of Industry, I think, was the one for me that burned me off of the genre and want like made me not want to play these types of like tycoon or strategy management games um, anymore because of how bored i was playing it that's like that's, that's the only way i can describe it it's like everything about it mechanically was perfectly competent but i a act of actually playing that game kind of burned me on the uh subgenre for quite some time and it's kind of a problem with all of these uh strategy games of this type uh that they they start out with a like early game is super fun when you get setting setting up things and building roads and uh, also, like Banished uh, is the same uh, as well. Like mm. you, when you're setting mm. up your early game, it's really fun. But once once you get into like late game, it just all falls apart. Uh, and there's like nothing ever in the late game of these games, and uh, just uh, turns into this like, like tedious grind of just uh, expanding for expanding reason and no really like a point of progression or anything. And it's always at uh, that point where it's like, eh, I don't want to play this anymore. It's kind of funny because a lot of those games are like business management games where you're going out and destroying the environment and just like ripping down trees and building roads and laying concrete. And it's just like, I'm expanding for no logical reason aside from to make the numbers get bigger. Wait a second. Yeah, basically that's the problem. <laughs> like, And it, it's uh, usually not that uh, long to reach that point uh, in mm. a lot of these. 
It's yeah. like you play for a few hours and you're in that point and then it's just like, well, numbers are going up. I'm adding new buildings. Numbers are going up. I'm adding more buildings without actually having like any, any kind of interesting progression or anything happening at the end game. I, I just think it's hilarious because it's just a, a, an allegory for why capitalism is bad and also boring gameplay mechanics. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to like think of a way that like someone could make a game like this without like, because like there, there's kind of like two ways you can go with it, right? You can make it more sandbox or you can make it pretty strictly level focused. And I think games that end up being strictly level focused kind of dodge this problem a little bit because you, you, you get into a level, you play out the level. And once those objectives are clear, then I guess you could continue in sandbox a little bit, but the level is done, right? And I, I think yep. like, Roller Coaster Tycoon back in the day and like Parkitect as well kind of does this really well where it's just like, well, I will approximately fill up this park in the space of time with a little bit of free space so that if I want to uh, continue building after the objective is completed, I can, but I don't need to because the next level just unlocked and we should go do that now. Um, but at the same time, like a, a lot of these games end up, I think, just being like just tycoon and business management and like production line route games just end up being about the sandbox at a point. And I think that's where it kind of falls apart for me because they focus too heavily on the sandbox. And I think that that happens often in early access because sandbox lends itself better to early access because you don't need to have a, uh, a strict list of levels. You don't need to have a strict list of scenarios for an early access game. You just need the sandbox because then you can like, plug different pieces into that and players can just keep playing it in a more open sense and i think that's for me where a lot of like these more modern games kind of fall apart and just don't satisfy properly is because a lot of them go into early access and then they do that for two to three years and they need to keep their players playing so they maybe they have a small campaign that's unfinished but primarily like they're playing in the sandbox mode like just as an example a game that i play a whole lot of uh songs of six which actually has a great sandbox um does run into this problem towards the late game when you start to hit like the five to six thousand population in that game but the developer has a full campaign with like strategy um with, with like pre-designed like scenario maps like mapped out in his head that he's going to put out for that game in like two years and it's like i hadn't even thought about that concept because the game is such a sandbox so i, I don't know i i feel like sandbox modes are kind of killing these games for me you know <laughs> that was a random side tangent i apologize um. <laughs> Definitely no, no, no. I I absolutely agree with you. Actually, um, especially if if certain things are just not finished yet and imbalanced, unbalanced, and that sort of stuff. Like I don't know. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I'd rather sometimes just have like yeah, give me the option to do sandbox, but also just give me level objectives to complete. Like um, I think that's why I that's why I had such a good time with Jurassic World Evolution Two as well because I did not focus on like going to sandbox at all i just tried to complete the objectives on like the hardest level difficulty and that was really fun yeah i have to say like for me sandbox modes are tough because i if i lack directive i just don't know what i'm doing and i, I lose interest really quickly so having a direction to work towards or a goal to work towards is nearly always preferable I think for me, the, the point where sandboxes fall apart is when all I'm doing is making numbers go up and making the base bigger. That's the part where it falls apart for me. I think that there are some examples to, uh, or uh, examples of this where 
it doesn't bother me. Like in Dwarf Fortress, for example, like there, there is a point in Dwarf Fortress where you're like, well, I'm just building this fort. All right, well, it's time to retire the fort and go do something else in the world, right? Um, if you understand how all of that game's mechanics work together, there's always something you could go do elsewhere in the world that isn't necessarily the fortress that you're currently working on or the adventurer that you were just playing. Um, but I, I think the problem is when games are simpler mechanically and there's less that you can actually do in it. Like um, tra- uh, Transport Fever 2, great game. Fantastic game, actually. That game hit that so hard for me so fast. Like, there's uh, there's just points in that game where it's like, well, I guess I could, like, build up another transport route for coal slightly further distance to make slightly more money than the trucks that I already have running. I guess I could run boats up this river. I, I guess I could, like, invest millions of dollars in this huge train track, but, like, the trucks are doing just fine. Um, and what does it do? Transports more, faster. So unless you really enjoy the act of like building and designing these train routes, which is real fun for a bit, the game just like goes. <laughs> yeah, they kind of need some kind of evolution of gameplay towards the end game or like a mid game that kind of changes and shakes the whole how the game works. So yeah, I guess I guess if you care about it, achievements can alleviate that a little bit, but that obviously yeah. only works for people who actually care about achievements. Like if you just want to play the game, then. That obviously but the achievements are basically like a goal so, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That gives you some, uh, something to aim for uh, instead of just having to figure out uh, the fun yourself. Yeah. Uh. yeah, but not everybody cares about achievements in the games, right? So if you if you just don't care, then obviously they're not going to give you anything. I mean, achievements are also a fine line for me. Like, I think that achievements are either, hey, this is like an extra goal. Like, I think maybe the best, my favorite example of achievements that I've had in a video game in the past few years is probably Brigador. And the reason Brigador does them so well is because Brigador has its freelance mode where you just put together mechs or tanks or hovercrafts and go into maps that you've already cleared with random enemy placements and blow stuff up. Um, But what a lot of the achievements in that game are is play this weirdly specific in like in unusable layout and beat this number of maps. It's like it it forced me to play that game in different ways and I got another 40 hours mm. out of a game that probably would have only gotten 20 out of me originally. Um and I think that like that kind of achievement is really good. Yeah. I just finished The Veil, which uh is the the fully blind accessible um audio adventure. Um and I missed a side quest somewhere. No idea where. That game has no level select. That game has no chapter select. There is no way in hell I'm going to play through an eight-hour game again to get that one achievement, which is probably like three minutes of dialogue, which is exceedingly frustrating and makes me not want to play the game again. Um, Agreed, yeah. Or like these super unattainable ones. Yeah. I mean, mean, yes, this is is, is sort of a beam one, but like things like... um, I, I, it almost takes it to the extreme, uh, but it takes it to the extreme so much that it becomes kind of hilarious already again. Is uh, don't play Stan like don't open Stanley Parable for five years, like like those types of achievements. Like, I love it's that just achievement. Like, I realized I, mean, I could get that achievement the other like a, a couple of weeks ago and got yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean like, but like th- there's like some that that are just so insane. Like I don't know, beat this game on like triple mega extra hardcore and. I don't know, like, some of them are just, ugh. I think it depends yeah, on the They should be but... interesting challenges instead of just uh, this, uh, like, a 
dumb uh, spiking yeah. difficulty. Yeah. Like the Brigada like, Ronson. Like, kill 1,000 of these, 2,000 of these, 3,000 of these. Ugh. Yeah, the grindy ones are uh, pretty good as well. I mean, Brigador, mm. Brigador kind of has some ridiculous ones. Like, there's beat the uh, closed casket special, which is beat the entire game, plus all of the extra maps, plus all of the free DLC maps, plus um, all of the freelance maps in one sitting without dying, and you can't save. Good luck. Yeah, see, that's... that's, that's Took me no, four and a half you. hours. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> was, I guess I guess four run. and a half hours is not too bad, but if it's like a sixty-hour game, it's like there is um as, as much as I love it and I love it. It's Atom RPG. It's a game called Atom RPG, which is basically Fallout but Russia, like Soviet Russia. Yeah, and it's it's got a lot of it's it's got it's got heart and soul, and it, I love that game. It's amazing. But they literally have a game, like a, a game mode, like don't die. Until you hit like level twenty-seven and then die. Like and it's like and that game is already on normal difficulty, so incredibly hard, and you can just because you start off with like terrible weapons, so you just get one shot. Because we all know how it works in like turn-based isometric RPGs. Like sometimes you just get XCOM'd, and it's just like unless you want to dump like three hundred hours into trying to get that one achievement, it's just yeah. Even I, as an achievement hunter, just no, no, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of have the same problem with like RPG games as well. Like I played uh, Pathfinder uh, uh, last year, and uh, they, they are like 150 hours of gameplay. But I, I'm not really for the achievements. But I'm more like missing out on a content. Like I'm, mm. if you miss like hold like a nice side story, and then I have to play another hundred hours to go do that again. Yeah. That's why when I play an RPG, I go to every single question mark and location on the map because what if I miss something? That's why I don't play RPGs because it takes too damn long when I do that. <laughs> that is that is that is that is word. Yeah, I have come to to love shorter RPG games like mm. eight to twelve hours. Mwah! Perfect. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. Well, that was power to the people. Um, <laughs> and well, every other side tangent. Yeah. Yes. That, I don't know. Side tangents are good in content like this. I, I think that, that, that people like listening to us ramble about stuff. Um, so I, I just kind of want to pop this up as halfway an ad, but also um, just because we're it's a something it's a something that we as we as a doing. Um, the Project Zomboid servers had a reset, um, and I was playing on that last night and had some fun shenanigans hey. with people. So uh, if you're in our Discord and you want to play some Project Zomboid with me and maybe FG and I don't know who else is going to play on the server this week, but I'll be playing more of that. Um, <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I uh, kind of... I, 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 had, I had some fun events happen, but it's just like... It's, it, it's a lot of Project Zomboid things, you know? Like I was running around in the upper floor of a building, vaulting through windows and parkouring around and avoiding zombies well, and... Good I faced through a roof. That was great. You fell through a roof? Yeah, so yeah, I faced through. So apparently, um, this is actually a tip. If you ever need to escape from a zombie and you're in a two-story house, um, you can jump out the window and fall down because I don't think mm -hmm. there's fall damage, first of all. And there second is. of all, even if... But I fell through a roof and it was fine. Like, That's you can fine. just face through a roof and it's fine. Like, you can escape. That's great. <laughs> Hacks. Good tip. 
No, no. It's just because <laughs> apparently the roofs are coded. At least those roofs, the ones that you know that, that don't exist, they're coded to just not exist, basically, as like something that you can stand on. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's they, it's yeah. They they have no collision. You can just slip through them, which is kind of yep. great. But yeah, yeah. No, it's it's quite helpful. I, I was in a in a shady motel by one of the trailer parks uh, just south of West Point and was smacking zombies on the upper floor and uh, had to vault out of a window at the back of it to my uh, two friends who were dri- who drove the car up uh, behind and to to get into the car to drive away and I broke a leg doing it so you definitely can take damage jumping out of a window but maybe it's what you land on I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe I think I like, landed on a sofa. Maybe it's like Dwarf Fortress, where like you land on a wood floor and it's fine, and you can fall 15 stories, and as long as you land on wood, you're good, but if you land on platinum, you, you're going to explode. <laughs> because Dwarf Fortress calculates its fall damage based on uh, density of the obstacle you collide with, not the speed at which you're falling, which is funny. That is funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you put lead everywhere on the ground, and then nobody takes damage because lead is not very dense and very malleable. Um, nice. But, um, yeah, I, the games that I've been playing this week are pretty much the same. I finished The Veil, like I managed, mentioned earlier. I think that that game is wonderful. Like, uh, mild uh, like frustrations with that one achievement aside, I'll maybe go back in, like, three years and get the achievement. I don't really care or if they ever add a chapter select i'll go figure out what i missed and because i have a pretty good idea of the area that it's probably in which is at the end of the game unfortunately um, oh no but like I, I i think that without spoiling anything i think that that game wraps up very very well um initially it kind of has some of some just annoying fantasy tropes and i think they subvert those in a nice way um there there is uh kiri mentioned a point where like the voice acting gets a little weird because you're very much having a voice actor talking to the same voice actor with the same voice actor in the background um yes but it is possible to discern them they're they're it's it's fine it's like they they had a limited cast and it shows but um i think that they did a lot with almost nothing and i think that it's kind of a a triumph in that regard there i've been doing more research into audio adventures um just because chat the the people who did watch it i was kind of quiet but the people who did watch it really 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 enjoyed it and want me to do more stuff like this so i've been researching games like this and this just seems to be the most production value a game like this has ever gotten um there there's quite a few of like audio adventures out there but a lot of them feel a lot more like playing a visual novel that reads to you um, which is fine. I, I mean, like games like that are pretty cool, especially stuff that's like text reader compatible. But um, stuff like this, that's like you know, fully voice acted adventures with multiple cast members and like actual meat and gameplay and uh, a very light gear system. Like that doesn't. There really isn't much out there like that. Um, so I just I hope that more people make games like this because I, I think that the veil is something kind of special, and I think it deserves all of the accolades and positive buzz that it got and i wish it got more um because unfortunately it's like borderline impossible for people like us to really sell games like this because it is really difficult to stream a game with no graphics (laughs) so that's kind of all i really have to say about the veil is there anything anybody else wants to talk about games this or should, should we go to a break no i have nothing i i've just kind of been going back to older games this week besides power to the people 
Um, so another run in Battle Brothers, so that's always nice getting, you know, instead of XCOM, getting Battle Brood. Uh, but in case you're also a Battle Brothers, you enjoy Battle Brothers, uh, it's getting a free DLC in yeah. like March, so that's cool. Maybe I'll go back to Battle Bros then. I, I I played it very early access when it was very, 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 very early and then never went back. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Maybe I'll give it a try. It's fun. I think, I think like you'll it. enjoy it. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's like fantasy XCOM with the, with the bloat removed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um... I just want to say that uh, the next, either next week or the week after, Dwarf Fortress is getting a roadmap, which is supposedly going to highlight everything that ha is left to be done before release. So I'm very excited about mm. that. But that's not stuff that's actually out yet. That's just an announcement of an announcement, I guess. The, the classic. <laughs> um, but um, speaking of announcements for announcements, I'm going to announce that now we are going to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a little bit of news and a couple questions. And... Uh, I will, I, you will hear our voices in a few seconds right after this short message. Do you like indie games? Or what about strategy? Are you tired of screen shake and motion blur? Stop by my streams on Twitch to discover new games and experience wholesome community interaction in a simulation sickness friendly environment. You can find me on twitch.tv slash 2 I'll see you there. All right, everybody, welcome back to this here Halcyon Frequency podcast airing uh, February 20th, 2024, let's just say for this point, um, <laughs> because what year is it? It's 22. It's, tw it's 2022. Okay. Um, we're, we're, we I got it was still 2020. Shh. <laughs> I don't need that conspiracy theory rattling around in my brain again. Although that is a good one. There's that 2020 never ended. We've all just lost our concept of time because I started a black hole in 2012. Anyway, um... It's not true they didn't do that, but it is a good rabbit hole if you want to listen to people who don't know how science works. Um, anyway, we, we have a little bit of news here, and, uh, and, th and then we're going to do your, uh, your, your listener questions. If you'd like to submit questions for the questions segment or just discuss any of the podcast topics we have here uh, over on the Halcyon Frequency Discord, which can be found through our website, halcyonfrequency.com, uh, you can ask us questions in the uh, podcast topics section. And po or rather podcast questions sections, not the podcast. The podcast topics is for discussion. Anyway, um, let's talk about some news. So um, in March 2023, you will no longer be able to buy games on the 3DS and Wii U stores as announced by Nintendo. And I have a source for Video Games Chronicle. Um, the actual numbers of games disappearing are not that, not that insane, but still too many. Um, so around 450 digital only wii u games a lot of these games are available on other platforms keep in mind the so these numbers are bigger than they might initially seem around 600 uh digital only 3ds games uh, around 100 games on the wii u that are also available physically uh, around 300 3ds games that are also available physically and nearly 530 virtual console games around 300 of and 50 of them are not currently available on nintendo switch online which is the current generation of this um that i'm looking at at this article by uh chris scullion i think is how you say that chris uh from video games chronicle um so i this this news when i heard about this i 
powered on and plugged in my 3DS and like started passing, scanning through the eShop, looking at games that I know are not going to be available elsewhere, including a Dr. Mario game and a bunch of others. And those games are expensive for one thing. And I know that like a lot of ripping off of these devices has already happened. And like those games are available, like if, if you want to emulate them. So like, it's not like they're going to disappear entirely, but I'm just curious on your guys' thoughts on games like this disappearing and Starfront shutting down. It's always kind of sad in a way because it's it is it is an era kind of disappearing and fading into the into the black, I guess, in a way. Because I, for one, like I used my 3DS probably thousands of hours. Like I actually used that console and I took it with me and and that sort of stuff. So it is always. It's always bittersweet in a way. It's good that they're being saved, for sure. Like, that's great. Um, but it's always a bit bittersweet. And I, I think, as you brought it up as well, it just highlights, again, how atrocious. Um, it is often... It often is to get, like, older Nintendo titles on current, con- current gen uh, consoles. Because, like, the, the virtual... Like, the... Retro games on Switch, like, the availability right now is just, mm, meh. And you need to pay for it as well. You can't just buy a game, right? I don't know. It's, it's sad. So, to be clear, they're not, like, porting any of this to the Switch library? Question mark, is question there... mark, question mark. Slash we don't know. I know that they, like, ported some, like, NES stuff. To, yes. the, so to the, the Switch Marketplace. So, so I don't know if they maybe are doing that too. There's Nintendo Switch Online, which is an annual subscription, which is not dissimilar to the way Game Pass works, um, which does have some games, right? Um, as highlighted in this article, um, around 530 virtual console titles, which are available on the um, uh, on the Wii U, Um and only, and 350 of them are not currently available on Nintendo Switch Online. So Nintendo Switch Online is the paid-for annual service that gives you multiplayer and internet connectivity, but also gives you access to uh, these games. It's like 20 bucks a year, I think, for the base level. Um, but that doesn't include everything because you have to pay more to get N64 games. So it's like a lot like the vast majority of these games are not currently available and i would say it's unlikely that we'll see the exact same library in nintendo switch online yep it's quite unlikely and all of these are five bucks a pop because the virtual console was like you buy them a la carte not you yep you know and so a lot of these games guarantee you very few people have bought them there's there's a lot of games in the old virtual console umbrella that are extremely niche and hard to find. Um, a lot of them are very expensive physically, and it's like those games are available out there. There are other places to play those games, but Nintendo for a while there was uh, unintentionally boosting the popularity of the retro gaming scene just purely by making these games available. Um, and I think that that's a very positive thing for the industry as a whole is just having these old games and making them available for people to play. And the second that their boutique storefront for their boutique aging console goes away, the access to those, your only option now is piracy, right? If, if you want to access games that are no longer for sale, 
and only ever yep. worked on one platform. You have to get a flashcard for that platform or somebody has to make something not akin to the analog pocket, a, a new modern device based on that old hardware that runs those games and plays them as they were intended. Or you're then emulating them on a PC, which is a completely different experience. And a lot of these games really, like, don't work <laughs> unless you have, like, especially for the, the 3DS, unless you have the stylus and the touchscreen, right? Like, I, yeah, I man, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever tried emulating one of those games, but you know, legality aside, I have. Um, and it it's not the same, not even close. I've never even touched a 3DS, so I wouldn't know. I, ironically, you probably would love 3DSs because half of the games that I was looking to buy are like all of the Picross games. Like, Ninten believe it or not, Nintendo has a very long series of Picross games, which is just like the, that Colored by Numbers game that you play. Um, oh. or coloring pixels, I think it's called. That's a pick. That's Picross, mm. right? Nintendo has one of the longest running franchises of Picross games that are all on their mobile systems. They have. Well, that sounds nice. There's like eight of them that I, that are going to be un unplayable uh, or unpurchasable uh, after this date. That I've been looking at, going like, I might buy all the like these Nintendo themed Picross games, and they're they're not super cheap, but I want them <laughs> because I want to play them. And I have a couple of yeah. them. I have mm -hmm. Picross 3D. It was good times. Yeah. I mean, I, it's I a do shame, have to right? admit, Yeah. I do have to admit I haven't touched my 3DS in a long time, but that's mostly because I don't really go anywhere. And I don't really play handheld consoles or ha consoles in handheld mode with a Switch at home that much. Uh, and obviously 3DS, like streaming, uh, that was always a pain in the butt, obviously. And getting that done because you had to get a modded 3DS for it because, you know, no output, uh, no native output in the console and you needed to get it modded in and whatnot. So, yeah, it is, it is always just yeah, an end of an era. Mostly, obviously, with the 3DS. The Wii U, I think, never kind of was that wildly accepted by people. Like, it probably, I mean, we all know it was like the worst selling console. Um, mm. For a mm. while, there. For I was gonna say, I mean, you know, there's yeah. other consoles that would like your number, but no, no, for Nintendo, for Nintendo, for Nintendo, sure. it yes. was not great. It was, it but... definitely was a noted failure for Nintendo. Yeah, like just, just, um, just, just an example. Um, a game that I own on Wii on on the Wii U, which is no longer available in NA because uh, they stopped selling it a couple of years ago. It's Fast Racing and Fast Racing Neo. Those are basically f-zero <laughs> and mm -hmm. i have both of them and um <clears throat> i'm losing my voice apparently fast racing neo is not available in north america at all anymore and also neither of those games are going to be purchasable anywhere yeah no. like they could absolutely be played on a pc like there's nothing like specific about like i can't remember what they use the tablet for in that game but it wasn't anything useful it was just f-zero it was just a really fast hovercraft racer I don't know. No, I just want to play F-Zero. <laughs> well, I mean, you can. That's a game that's really well emulated. That's true, yeah. <coughs> yeah. Bloody hell. But, but obviously, yeah. this is a problem that's been around for a long time already. It's like a, This is just the newest thing that's going away. But like, mm -hmm. All the like Commodore 64 games and like really old stuff. Um, I actually wrote an article uh, about like virtual archaeology about like 10 years ago in Swedish... <laughs> Uh, about about the same thing, uh, like um, 
losing access to games uh, just because uh, you don't have the hardware anymore. Like you actually literally have to retro engine like a hardware because you don't just have hardware to dig into the games anymore. And uh, some kind of preservation thing is kind of required uh, for that. Uh, and it usually falls on just the like retro community and fans uh, saving the games. Uh, but something like bigger would be really nice to have, like actual preservation project. Uh. So he here's just a real quick list of 3DS games that are going to be virtually unplayable anywhere outside of emulation. Um, Chibi Robo, let's go. Um, Dylan Rolling Western 1 and 2. Dr. Mario, The Miracle Cure. Um, Fluidity Spin, never heard of that one. Uh, Cat Souls Corridors, I've heard of that one. Uh, Mario and Donkey Kong, Minis on the Move. Uh, Mini Mario and Friends, Amiibo Challenge. Uh, Nintendo Pocket Football Club, which is like a... They made a, a soccer game, um, which I think is only available in EU. Uh, and then Picross 8, Pocket Card Journey, Pokemon Battle Tonze, which is a Pokemon Link battle game. Um, Pokemon Picross, uh, Pushmo, Crashmo, Stretchmo, and all the other pullbox games. Uh, Harmo Knight, uh, Sakura Samurai, and a bunch more Picross games. Um, Steel Empire and Tokyo Crash Mobs and... Some of those are region locked too, and it's like you can't even get them specifically anywhere. And then just looking at all of the other titles that are going away that are that are um, as part of the uh, eShop uh, virtual console stuff, like there is so there's uh, seventy Game Boy Advance games that aren't available officially anywhere else, fifty Game Boy games that are not available officially anywhere else, thirty-one Game Boy Color games that are not available officially anywhere else, forty Turbo Graphics games. That's a console that didn't sell very well. Uh, that are not available anywhere else uh, officially. Sixteen Game Gear games, thirty DS games, thirty-five Wii games, and forty-seven and NES games, twenty-seven SNES games. But you know, I guess the silver lining here is they've given us what over a year to get those games if you want them. So I guess if you own a Wii U that's still plugged in, or if you own a 3DS and you want any of those games, it's time to grab them. Because you'll still be able to download them after that date. You just won't be able to purchase them. Which is, uh, what, March? Yeah, March 2023. You will no longer be, you will no longer be able to buy new games. This is, now, this is sort of weird, though, because I, I know that this is not the first time something like this has happened, but, like, looking at it from my perspective, as someone who never had a 3DS or a Wii U or, like, got to experience these games, to remove them means that there are people like me and then younger generations who will never be able to experience these games. And it's they're an important chapter in... The development of gaming and they're like where we are today and it's sort of weird just to like remove it from the book yeah i i mean there's there's people like the video game history foundation that are working very hard to archive all of this stuff legally or illegally they they don't really care um people are you know ripping and making flash carts and have been doing that sort of stuff for for ages in this scene just to make sure that those games are playable and archived and like I said, there there's a very large amount of time that has been given now to people to go buy them. But over time, you know, 3DSs will stop working. Wii U's will stop working. And uh, the accessibility of a lot of these games is going to go away and only matters to companies like Nintendo if it makes them a lot of money, right? You know, back to the 
capitalism comment. It's just like they these games will only be exist in a playable state officially if they're selling. And you go and you look at a lot of these games that are going away. A lot of them are very, very, very niche titles. And I, I guess it's like uh, pointing at PC and going, yeah, you know, at least what Steam is doing is probably in the right direction, right? <laughs> Let's just make it available and make those games at least remain purchasable. I mean, there are plenty of games on Steam that don't play on Windows 10 or Windows 11 and require Windows 7. Um, like, I, I, there are some games in my Steam library that I can't play because they don't run on Windows 10 natively. Um, but, like, there are ways I can make those games work. At the very least, I can download the files for them. So there, there's there, there's that, at least. But it sucks. You... Yeah. <laughs> You go just okay i was gonna just quickly kind of float this do you, do you foresee a situation where maybe they'll like put the whole bundle up for like i don't know some exorbitant amount of money like 300 dollars for the whole collection are you suggesting That's nintendo like... is going to give us a good price for things i yeah. don't know i, <laughs> I just we'll be... i yeah Doubtful. no this is nintendo the fact that they even like give us a warning like this is, I guess, something to be happy about. I would be um, more expecting of them to raise the price. Yeah, of these games, same. Yeah, it would be nice to see like a net, like a actual Nintendo uh, emulator over a PC, for example. Um, that's like an official one, and then they could sell a bunch of these like as a bundles, like all the Picross games from a 3DS and so on and so on. So it would have one place to go for them instead of having to. Get the more or less shady ways uh, if you can't get them otherwise. Nintendo has made it shock shockingly and starkly clear that they don't care about their history um, over the past few years, which, you know, leads me to say things like, yeah, go like look at the stuff that leaked out of Nintendo with the big leaks not too long ago. Um, go read about that stuff because it is fascinating to learn about that company as an enthusiast of video games. Um, which they will never give to us are themselves. That that is not something they will distribute to us. Period. It's also interesting because uh, they've ob obviously greatly benefited uh, themselves uh, from the people who are um, keeping these games alive, uh, like all the NES games and SNES games and all the speed running and all the things like that. Um, like uh, they've obviously benefited greatly money-wise at them themselves, uh, being able to sell them on like uh, Switches and whatnot uh, as a retro game, so uh, like, people are still keeping them alive. Uh. Yeah. They're, they're just going to wait for another opportunity to like dangle it over us as a carrot and then try and sell them to us again in the future, probably, but... If they made the bundle, that would that's a carrot I would go for. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would absolutely buy them on a PC as well, if I could... Uh have them on a, like a native emulator yeah that'd be bundles amazing. of games uh, like I, I would uh, shop a ton on that uh... i would spend so much money on it oh my god yeah i don't know i nintendo is not into one-time purchases right they or or no they to, want you to, to have everything game 15 yeah, times yeah they want to piecemeal it out i mean if if they could figure out a way to uh sell you individual games as well as charging you a monthly fee for it i think they would do it <laughs> If they, if they could do that without pissing people off. Um, I don't know. I, I very much doubt we'll see a lot of these games pop up officially ever. 
Yep. Especially the independent ones, like a lot of those. Yeah, you might places. see the Nintendo's first uh, party ones uh, somewhere, but uh, not the small indie ones, especially. They are going to be gone. Just heed the warning. Check to see if there's anything you want. I'm going to go buy some Picross games over the next couple weeks, I think. <laughs> Just for the future where I do have to get on a plane again. But I think it's time for us to jump into the uh, the questions bucket. We do, we do have... Uh, a, a few questions that have been added uh, since the last recording. So um, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm just kind of s- scrolling here and trying to figure out which one we should start off with. But um, Prismatic Flux has a question, which is, is there a particular smell you're fond of? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone yes, there are many. Want to take this one first? I guess I will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have just a particular smell. I have many. I was compiling a list, and I, I, I don't know. And there are so many things I'm forgetting, but some things that are, like, very stand out to me include that musty basement smell. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like, when you go into the basement, it just smells musty. That's just, like... Yep. I don't know. It's it's my childhood. I know like that smell. Visiting my family, and just that musty smell. I love it. Old and house. Yeah. Unfinished yeah. basement old in books. old house or new books. That's what I was gonna say. My and that is also like musty books and old books. I love that smell too. Library. Oh man, it smells so good. So so good. I also really like the smell of. Um, this is gonna be a weird one, but cat heads. I don't. I don't <laughs> Cat heads attached to cat or detached from cat? Because I just need to a, a live attached cat okay. head. I just I like how it smells. Um, obviously, cooking garlic, milky sweet coffee. Um, I that's a dog. <laughs> He's against the cat comment. Huh? He's like, what about my head? Um, okay, almonds, processed almonds. I I don't care about regular almonds, but processed almonds. Roasted almonds, amaretto, soaps, baked goods, almond extract, like freaking amazing. So good. I think food in general is something probably everyone has uh, one or two uh, like food things that are really nice smell to them. Pancakes cooking would be my food thing. Yeah, any kind of like home cooking as well. It's like uh, smelling that uh, pot bubbling, bubbling there and meat cooking and all that uh, um, I would also go for like a nature things, like going to a forest, uh, like a pine forest or uh, something like that, uh, in a proper time of the year. It's like just amazing, all the oh, yeah. nature smells uh, that you get. Um, it's also like super relaxing and actually really good for uh, breathing as well. Pine trees. I was gonna say pine fall. trees. The smell of fall, just fall. Yes. Yeah, like apples, cinnamon, wet oh. leaves uh, that are. There, I think my favorite outside like weather smell and sound at the same time oh rain no it's the quiet (laughs) it's the quiet and the smell of like fresh snow like when it's just covered in fresh snow and nothing has been ruined by cars yet and that sort of stuff and it's like (laughs) quiet but like the air is like super fresh and 
I don't know. That I like that a lot. Would you Wait, like how could I forget snow? that? <laughs> we got so <laughs> much snow this year, like mountains. I can send, send you some it if you to want me. Some. We've had one, two days where it snowed and it didn't even stick around. Yeah, this it. is probably one of the most snowiest years uh, ever. Well, while I've lived here, like there is so much snow. So we don't have space to put it anymore. I just want to echo everything that's been said about the nature smells from you guys. Um, but I, I really, really, really like the pseudo toxic smell of um, a new synthesizer or new not mainstream electronic device. Um, I have a few things in my house that have arrived recently, like my record players kind of smell like that as well. It's like, this is an electronic device, but it doesn't feel like it was made in a clean room. It feels like somebody soldered it together, if that makes any sense. Like, the kind of toxic scent of uh, a freshly soldered device is kind of special, and it's not something that we really get anymore. Um, so that ozone yeah, it's probably like the lead solder that's killing me. But like, I, I I like that smell of just like, or even like freshly repaired old electronics. Like, um, like a, a new phone doesn't really smell the same as like something that has been soldered together recently. So all all things in general, like uh, if they're kept well, they have this like kind of smell of old things to them and it's always a uh, very comforting like do you, does yeah to kind what of about the smell of new shoes i can't remember the last <laughs> the, time i bought shoes the toxic actually, smell of new shoes <laughs> actually talking about toxic smell the toxic smell of fresh new carpet like ever have you ever been into like a carpet warehouse yeah and that smell is so bad but mm. i like the smell of an ikea Oh, yeah, IKEA yes. furniture has a smell. Like, mm. it's a very peculiar musk that they give off. I could just keep going with this list. Like, or, or, <laughs> do any of you guys yeah, have, like, the smell of podcast, though? Do, do any of you guys, <laughs> smell of vision, audio, audible smell of vision. <laughs> have any of you guys been into, like, a Rubbermaid container store? Nope. Like, just a plastic store that just sells I've been to a container store. Because, man, that is a upsetting scent. <laughs> but also uh, indistinguishable from anything else. Um, scrolling up the, in the question bin a little bit. FG, do you want to read this one that, because uh, I think it's fitting that you read this one, that uh, Cutest Ghost asks. Yeah, Cutest Ghost, repping the questions. Love it. Love to see it. Thank you again for another question. This is a good one. Um one that we've talked about within the team ever so often, actually. Do you plan on inviting other people to Halcyon Frequency? And the TLDR is not currently, but maybe probably in the future. We um, get emails from people asking to join every so often, and I always have to very politely figure out how to respond with no which always kind of hurts. So but. so our goal was never to be big, like like big, big, like 20, 30 We want to be big, big, but we don't want to be big. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're always going to keep it rather small, and, like, it's 
like the invites have been very like curated in a way as well and um like everybody who's on the team or has been on the team dire included are people that we've met in person just as an example like i think everybody here has met somebody else in person from the team at some point yep somewhere um whether it's very that... important as well to meet in in person first uh, yeah you get uh, a picture of person much better when you see yeah. even like a short period face to face than you ever get a meeting online yeah i i think that there's if if we didn't have that requirement i think there would have been other people that join the team potentially but it's it's kind of interesting how working relationships change when you meet somebody in person like i'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here but there's definitely people that i have um worked with before online that i'm less interested to work with once i've met them at a convention or at an event yeah i echo that sentiment it's good to like because because we need to jive and we need to like make sure that we can like work with each other and and like that we're like sort of on the same wavelength really and online it's often it's 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 a little bit easier to hide the rough edges that a personality might have compared to like seeing people in you know face to face but uh, so yeah basically yeah we're we're in the future probably but we don't have any concrete plans right now yeah and and i think like you know we're recording it right now we're recording a podcast um, where we have to give this project, I think, a little bit of time before we even think about bringing on another member. Yeah, exactly. Because Especially now with the podcast, because we'd have to make sure that not only like their streams and their streaming philosophy kind of align with the rest of the team. We'd also need to, we would need to onboard people with the, the podcast and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, and, um, previously no, we just had after hours, which already required onboarding. And I think that this requires even more now. So I think less of a, is Halcyon Frequency going to have new members permanently in the future? That, 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 that's, that's a discussion that we'll, we'll have at some point. Um, and it'll need to be the right person. But, I think a more likely thing is we need or should start bringing in guests for this podcast in the future um, that are not necessarily yeah. members of the stream team, but maybe voices that, you know, we know, you know, like there are other broadcasters out there and other content creators and other people that we work with from time to time. I mean, Carrie streams with other people on a pretty frequent basis um, for uh, a lot of the 4X stuff that she does with Humankind and um, uh, other games. And I, I, I know that FG, you have a circle of people that you know, that you talk with, that you work with um, on other things that you've done in the past. And I have people that I know who are other creators who I'm working with quietly um, on other things specifically related to Dwarf Fortress and roguelikes and other things. Um, so may maybe like that's a way that you'll hear voices expand in Halcyon frequency in the future that are not necessarily bringing people into the team proper. Yeah, that sums it up very nicely, I think. So 
Speaking of summing things up, I think that's all the questions that we really have in the question bucket. If you would like to uh, chuck more questions in there, just go into the question bucket. They don't necessarily need to be super serious like that last one, but they can be more things like, uh, what's your favorite smell? Uh, have you bought a mug recently? I, I don't know. Ask us questions. Uh, I, I think that kind of brings this episode to a close, though. So let's let's start at the top here and do some uh, shout-outs. Bellinaire, where can, where can people find you and the things that you make on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me on twitch.tv slash Bellinaire. You can find me on youtube.com slash TV. I'm pretty much everywhere I'm TV except on Twitch. Uh, every day, European evening times. Not next week, though. I'll be traveling. <laughs> but other than that, we can. That that's where we can find Bellinaire. Um, FG, who are you? What do you do? Where can we find you? Yeah, hi, I'm FG. FG squared. Uh, literally, that's everywhere except on Twitter. There's a pesky underscore on Twitter between the FG and the squared. Um, but besides that, I'm on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, Patreon. Uh, I stream indie games five days a week, mostly indie games. Um, I'm moving soon, hopefully, maybe, I don't know, everything is kind of crumbling apart right now, so I might be taking a few days off here and there. And Jess, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, speaking of pesky underscores, you can find me at twitch.tv slash woe underscore Jess, and I'm inconsistent, you can find me on Twitter and YouTube and Discord, and I forgot I have an Instagram that I don't use, okay. but just... Most people should forget <laughs> that they have an Instagram. <laughs> uh, yeah, just Mondays through Thursdays, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, which is UTC minus 7. And, uh... On Twitch. I'm Blind, and you can find me at twitch.tv slash B-L-I-N-D-I-R-L and stupidskull.com. And, uh, I have Twitter, I think. You can tweet at me, allegedly. B-L-I-N-D-I-R-L. <laughs> and uh, if you want to get more episodes of this podcast, halcyonfrequency.com. Please leave us reviews on iTunes. I, I, it's hard. Please. I know, but please do it. Also, Podcast Addict, you can leave reviews. Other podcast things, you can leave reviews. Just leave us five stars because we have a five-star run time for a five-star podcast. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say. Uh, if you want to listen to more episodes of this, of this podcast, you can. Or you can not. Check us all out at halcyonfrequency.com. And uh, I, I think that's pretty much everything. So uh, there will be another episode on Sunday next week. Give it a listen when it pops up. Till then, I think we should synchronize a goodbye to everybody out there. Uh, Maybe one day we'll have like an outro goodbye. music or something. Sorry, I started early. I'm going to just say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Oh, was that a tune? That's fine. <laughs>